everyone, and welcome to the Questioning Pornography podcast. It's great to have you back with us today, and it is also great to have with us today Christopher Beaker, who will be our guest for the show today. Christopher Beaker, would you like to say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. I'm I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be getting the good word out. Thank you. So we have Christopher with us today because he is an addiction therapist and sometimes works with people struggling with pornography addiction. And he also recently wrote a book about for parents on how to help their children overcome their pornography addiction. So he's going to be telling us a little bit about that today. Um, So to start with Christopher, why don't you just tell us about yourself and your backstory, why you decided to write this book, why you decided to get involved in this kind of work? Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Lily, for having me on your show. I have been practicing chemical dependency and therapy for about six years now, and I've worked in human services since I uh, got my degree in psychology. And I have um, struggled with uh, various forms of uh, addiction myself, one of them being a chemical dependency, which I've overcome about eight, nine years ago. So I'm happy to... Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be giving back to the recovery movement. And at the same time, the most challenging addiction for me to overcome was my pornography addiction. And I'm happy to Mm. say I have overcome my pornography addiction. And writing this book was kind of like the final nail in the coffin, if you will. Mm. Because I, I did so much research. Before I started writing the book, I had... Uh, lots of knowledge about the harms associated with pornography use and pornography addiction. And I felt impelled uh, to get that knowledge and that information out into the world in such a way that it would help people um, be more free and have more happiness in their lives. So there are a couple Uh, manuals on overcoming pornography addiction on the market. And I knew I wanted to write a book that was unique. And there's not that much information on how parents can help their child overcome pornography addiction or pornography use. Um, So through my professional training, my professional practice, uh, my personal experience, I came up with a book, I wrote a book, and the basis of the book is authoritative parenting, uh, listening to the child, validating the child's feelings, and also having high standards for the child. So uh, authoritative parenting has plenty of research uh, supporting it, indicating that it has best outcomes for children. So with my studies of psychology and my counseling practice and my intimate knowledge of overcoming pornography addiction, it just all came to a head uh, with me writing uh, my book, Break Free of Change. So I'm happy to be getting the book out into the world. I'm happy it's helping families um, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for writing that book and thanks for reaching out to me and initiating this conversation. 
Now, there are a few things you just said that I want to make sure we return to in the duration of this podcast. So I'm flagging the authoritative parenting thing that you mentioned. I definitely would love to dig into that. But before we do that, I'm just wondering if you could give me a little more context for your work as an addiction therapist. I know you said that generally you focus on chemical dispe- uh, chemical dependency, excuse me. Um, and then what age group are you typically working with? Are, are you focused on children or adults and sometimes children or? I, I counsel adults and I have experience uh, counseling adolescents. The individuals that come to me are drug dependent, and mm. a lot of the individuals that I see who are chemically dependent are also dependent on pornography. And actually, mm. of my memory, most, if not all, the adolescents that I've counseled with chemical dependency also have a pornography addiction. Hmm. So, Do you think there's a there's a reason for that? Why people with a chemical dependency might be more vulnerable to pornography addiction or vice versa? Or is it just kind of a coincidence because, you know, most people have pornography addictions in some shape or form or? All, all the above. It's, mm. it's susceptibility to addiction. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends on not necessarily the amount of trauma that an individual has experienced, or it could be mistreatment, abuse, anything along those lines, adverse childhood experiences um, is what the literature calls them. So it's not necessarily the trauma. It's if the trauma or the pain and suffering or the grief is unprocessed. Unprocessed trauma leads to susceptibility, and then it doesn't matter if it's a chemical or gambling or internet uh, pornography, that addiction is going to take place because the individual is not connected with themselves. They're they're missing some form of meaningful connection in their life, right? And so they turn to something that they they believe provides them with connection, but internet pornography or any addiction doesn't provide connection. It's just a way of escaping uncomfortable emotions so it's back to the susceptibility and then there's the three a's which i'm sure you might be aware of so accessibility anonymous and the availability of it those three a's Mm. are unique to internet pornography and it's one of the reasons that the prevalence rate or the prevalence for pornography use or pornography dependency is so high for sure, yeah. And that that's what I was going to say is like definitely I, I can absolutely understand and agree how if there is some kind of unprocessed trauma, it would make one particularly susceptible to pornography addiction. On the other hand, however, given the accessibility and and the availability and the anonymity, I think there are many, many, many people, and well, I, I know because I, I have many people I know personally, right, who who don't have any particular unprocessed trauma, but just because pornography is so widely available, they fall into that addiction too. So I think as you know, as the internet age has continued to make pornography more available, we're probably seeing more addicts who who don't necessarily have unprocessed trauma and don't fit that um, that picture, right, along with the ones who do. Would you agree? Yes. So there, and, and, and this uh, overlaps with my training in treating gambling addiction. Okay. So with gambling addiction, there's like three pathways to addiction. One is like happenstance, 
and that is the easiest one to cure or to overcome. It's like there's so many environmental cues for gambling that a person tries it experimentally and then gets hooked just because it's an addictive uh, act or behavior. I mean, with gambling, it's addiction by design. I mean, there's there's a book written by that. The lady who trained me to treat gambling addiction brought that book to my awareness. And this is also how like software companies operate as well, such as pornography um, producers and that sort of thing. They, I mean, like Pornhub even blasts it on their website, like you're addicted, come back to feed your addiction. I mean, they kind of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it's... Uh, it's dastardly in my opinion. Um, <laughs> so there's the happenstance, like pornography is ubiquitous so anyone can access it. So that's like the first first group. The second group is people who suffer from mental health disorders such as anxiety and depression and the more like common uh, mental health disorders. And then there's the third uh, category of problem gamblers and it has to do with like psychopathy and hmm. anger and rage and those are the more challenging mental health disorders to treat and overcome so there's there's three pathways um the happenstance the experimental use gone wrong then the mild form of mental illness and then the serious form of uh, mental illness such as like the dark triads uh, narcissistic personality disorder there's people with those kind of disorders have a high um, high susceptibility. Those populations, addiction runs high in those populations. Is this making sense about what I'm saying? It is, yeah, yeah I'm following. <laughs> and, and so with pornography addiction, there, there still needs to be more research, but I believe it would very much fall into this category as well. Some people become addicted by, by chance. They, they've don't have that much trauma or they process their trauma, but still became addicted because of the environmental cues and it's so addictive. And then the other two groups. So cool. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And and I guess what would be some signs that people could identify? It's particularly for parents, as you wrote your book for parents. Like what would be some signs that their child is struggling with a pornography addiction, since this isn't typically something that kids will be open with their parents about? So some of these characteristics or indicators are also the same indicators for drug use amongst adolescent. Mm. And then two of them that I will go over here in just a second are, are the same indicators of, of sexual, uh, sexual abuse. So I'll go. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go through the ones um, that are similar to uh, the chemical dependency amongst adolescents. So one of them is being socially isolated or socially withdrawn. And with this trait or characteristic, it's like you're looking for, we're looking for a big change in the personality of the adolescent. So socially withdrawn, if they are mm, socializing and they are out with their friends and then they have a big shift in their behavior where they're socially withdrawn, that may be one thing to look out for. And again, I'm going to go through like nine of these indicators. 
And it's like okay. one or two or three of these things is not necessarily uh, an indicator that something is up. But again, if we're getting to like five or six of these sort of things, it's something to pay attention to. And if it's mm. all, all of these things, it's, it's definitely something um, that needs to be further explored. So social isolation, disinterest in friends and activities that they're once interested in, uh, change in personality. One of them is a blatant disrespect of girls or women, especially after that not being the case. Mm. Another indicator that is between, you know, pornography use and sexual abuse would be the imitation and modeling of inappropriate sexual behaviors, uh, unusual or sudden interest in sexual topics, uh, sexually explicit language or drawings, uh, f- touching or fondling the adolescent uh, him- himself doing it in public spaces, inappropriate sexual gestures. So those are some of the characteristics that would also mimic um childhood sexual abuse Hmm. another indicator would be secrecy around the smartphone or the device if you as a parent walk up on your child and all of a sudden they're trying to hide the screen or turn away or tuck their phone in that is something to pay attention to and you might just want to gently ask them why they're covering up their screen Right. Another indicator. So I I uh, talk about and I teach about uh, authoritative parenting in my book, and mm-hmm. one of those, one of the ways to make that happen in the household is by having f- family rules that the kids help develop. So some of the rules that I uh, line uh, that I spell out in my book. Um, would help with some of these other characteristics that I'm going to talk about here. So if your adolescent, if your child cannot sleep without taking his phone to bed, that is something to pay attention for. If your child is up uh, during the night and is on the internet or using his screen uh, many hours through the night, that is something to pay attention to. And again, with like house rules, um, I've talked with other parents and podcasters who who recommend having a central location for all the devices in the house and have that be in a public space uh, such as the kitchen. So if their devices are all charged at the end of the night at whatever, eight, nine o'clock at night, it kind of prevents... Um, the child from being up all night on the screen. So some simple house rules can help prevent some of these things. Right. So the signs and indicators of pornography use among an adolescent, as I was saying, is social isolation, uh, imitation of inappropriate sexual behaviors, um, taking the phone to bed or in uh, the bathroom, and increased secrecy are some things to be looking out for as a parent and a caregiver of children. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. It's interesting to me that you you mentioned household rules that the child helps to develop. 
that stuck out to me. Did you want to speak to that a little bit more and the importance of the child helping to develop the rules? Sure, absolutely. I'm I'm definitely a, a child advocate and a child needs to be seen and heard. And the more the parent or caregiver can give their child a say in how the rules are created, the more mm. easily the child is going to get behind those rules. And when a child feels like they have say in what goes on, they are much more likely to cooperate and have a much better experience and be successful outside of the home. Because the end goal of parenting, in my opinion, is to raise kind, compassionate, competent, creative, successful, uh, enlightened children, basically. And the way to do that is by giving them say in what happens in the household. So respect for others, um, one person talking at a time. I forget all the rules that I spell out in there, but they're pretty common and in general things. And it's just like if a child is going outside of bounds and needs to be redirected, it's a lot easier to redirect the child's attention when the family has already had a conversation about what the rules look like and they're much more likely to comply. Uh, they have higher self-esteem, and they work better with others, and they're just generally more successful and happy. And that's what it's all about to me. So, Awesome. Yeah, I, I like that. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, do you mind if I ask one more follow-up question on the things you said about parenting? Awesome. Well, you, you mentioned the term authoritative is that right? Authoritative parenting? Correct. Right. I've heard that term used before, and I've specifically heard it contrasted with, I think, authoritarian parenting. I don't know if, I guess I would like you to speak to how exactly you define authoritative parenting, and if authoritarian parenting is something that you see as contrasted to it, what is the difference? Lily, there, in the psychological research, there are four main parenting styles and so and they are authoritative authoritarian permissive and uh uninvolved or neglectful Mm. so yes my book very much endorses authoritative parenting so authoritative parenting there are two dimensions in which these four uh, parenting styles fall into so One of them has to do with responsiveness to child. And then the other spectrum is standards that the child is expected to follow. Mm. So authoritative parenting, I have high expectations for my child. And at the same time, I know that they're not always going to meet the family expectations. And when they don't meet the family expectations, we have to be, as parents and caregivers, we have to be kind and compassionate and listen to the child with where they're coming from. We need to listen to the children about what their needs and their preferences are. 
because that's our job to help them meet their needs and their preferences. So we have to listen to them and validate their emotions and their experience. So when I uh, have rules that are for their highest good and I'm expecting them to follow the rules and I'm listening to where they're coming from when they don't meet that expectation and I'm kind and compassionate, I'm practicing authoritative parenting. Cool. Authoritarian parenting isn't going to end up good for anyone. (laughs) It leads to children being resentful and they despite authority and they... What is authoritarian parenting, I guess, first of all? Yep. It's, it's, uh, so there's two dimensions, uh, responsiveness mm-hmm. to the child and expectations. So an authoritarian has high expectations, but has low responsiveness ah. to the needs and the preferences of the child. Okay. So if I understood correctly, and maybe I didn't, but let me know if I didn't, both authoritative and authoritarian have high expectations for the child. But authoritative is responsive to the child and understanding when they don't quite meet them, whereas authoritarian is not. Is that is that a decent summary? That's it. Yep. That's cool. what I'm saying. Cool. Th- thank you so much. Awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, great. Okay. So and, I guess. Mm-hmm, and, go ahead. And I was like, with regard to uh, permissive or neglectful or uninvolved this book is kind of writing to combat that and not saying like if your child has a pornography addiction, you're uninvolved or neglectful in no way, shape or form. But this book helps provide the structure that is needed to overcome this serious addiction. So it helps create that structure. And once structure is there, then flexibility can be oriented into it. If there's no rules and the child has full access to their device at all times and there's no, um, what is it called, parental software that is in place Mm. overcoming pornography use or protecting your child from the harms associated with pornography use, it's just, it's, probably not going to happen. There's peer influences and that sort of thing. A parent has to be aware of this situation, has to know the tools available to them, and then has to have the courage to be able to talk to their child about this challenging topic before they can even make a dent in, um, in the psychological dependency of pornography for their child. Cool. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. So why why don't we dig into that a little bit more? Like you, you mentioned some things already, but if I were to ask you specifically, like let's say I'm a parent, my child is struggling with pornography addiction. I just say, Christopher, what the heck do I do? In addition to the things you said, is there anything else you would add that would help parents potentially listening to this podcast move forward in that situation? Yeah. Um, so yeah, addressing if, if your child uses pornography, it is uh, a big thing to take on, but you can do it. Mm. So the first thing is if you're a parent is to take care of yourself and process your own stuff. And this is a big journey. I know that's a big step um, for some people to take, 
but it's really what is required. If, if I'm a parent and my child has pornography addiction and I have unresolved, unprocessed stuff regarding sexuality or mm. pornography and I haven't processed my stuff, in no way, shape, or form am I going to be able to intervene in such a way that it is helpful to my child. If I have, quote-unquote, baggage around pornography or sexuality, it's going to come out in some way, shape, or form when I'm communicating with my child about this matter. So if you discover that your child is using pornography, really the first thing to do is process your own stuff, work on your own healing, Hmm. and then educate yourself on the harms associated with pornography and the pornography industry arm yourself with knowledge and it's all spelled out in my book that's why i've written it so get the book read my book and then be able to discuss it or at least be able to turn back to a reference when you're talking with your child about these matters so you come off as authoritative and you know Mm -hmm. what you're talking about because that is going to give you the leverage that you need as a parent to properly care for your child. So if I'm a parent and I discover that my child is dependent on pornography, I need to take care of myself, I need to process my stuff, and then arm arm myself with knowledge about the harms of the pornography industry. And then, in my opinion, the next thing to do is to create a conversation around what is pornography and how it shows up in the world and so like the last thing in these steps that i'm giving is to then address if your child uses pornography or not so i recommend creating a conversation around the topic so when it comes time to say our family does not stand for using pornography The child already knows it's coming because you've created a conversation around the harms associated with pornography and the pornography industry. Cool, cool. Yeah, that all sounds almost like really good proactive measures too. I guess like it it might be harder if you find out, oh my gosh, my child is like super addicted to porn and it's causing them to like nosedive in various aspects of their life. It would be harder at that point perhaps to then be like, okay, well, first I have to process my stuff and then, you know what I mean? I feel like all these things would be great for parents to do regardless in advance to prepare for that time basically when, not if their child will encounter porn. You know what I mean? Like have your own stuff processed in general to deal with any difficult situation with your child and then learn about the harms to prepare for like, you know, the pornified world that your child is living in. Would you agree? Would you say they'd be great proactive measures in advance? Oh, absolutely. In addition to reactive? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I definitely err on the side of prevention and that's really where I want to take my time and my energy. It's just we've got a situation at hand that needs to be addressed. So that is why I, I wrote this book. But yeah, it's it's like those are definitely all the preventative steps mm-hmm. um, to prevent addiction. But it's like if, if the addiction is present, I still need to go through those things if I want yeah, to yeah. Mm-hmm. effectively help my child overcome pornography and yeah if if you as a parent if you discover that 
your child is dependent on pornography and it is having serious harms uh, in your child's life, it's it's probably going to be best to seek out uh, a professional counselor to assist mm. with that situation. But it's like if if your child goes into therapy, the steps still become the same. I, I have to process my stuff right. to be in a position to be able to care for another. And that's the same thing as a therapist. I, I have to have processed my stuff or be working on my stuff because there's so much stuff that comes up in therapy that could be potentially triggering. And that's the same same way parenting is. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. thanks Thanks so much for speaking to that. Um, now, the other thing you said is arm yourself with knowledge. That reminded me of something you said earlier about how just learning about the link between human trafficking and pornography helped you to overcome your pornography addiction. I found that super interesting because, well, first of all, that's clearly a case of how you arming yourself with knowledge actually translated to you being better able to overcome that addiction. And I found that interesting because I haven't necessarily seen that... Um, I haven't seen that mimicked in the same way with all people struggling with pornography. I, I have seen sometimes learning about health harms, helping them to to be like, okay, I, I'm motivated to overcome this now, but I haven't necessarily always seen uh, learning about like the harms to the people involved in the pornography production, translating to them being motivated to overcome it. Why, why was it in your case, wh what did you learn about the link between human trafficking and pornography that motivated you so much to overcome your addiction? What, why did that work for you? That's a good question. I think it relates to karma. I'm a, a believer in karma and my pornography addiction, my dependency on internet pornography was mild. So I needed something more than, oh, it was just harming me in this way, shape, or form. When I, uh. when I realized that it's not in an isolated vacuum, when I'm affecting other people's lives, because when people seek out internet pornography, they're saying yes to commercialized sex, and indirectly they are increasing the demand for commercial sex and when an individual increases the demand for commercial sex the market quote unquote is forced to meet that demand and that's where it comes into doesn't matter i mean from the market and, and the people who are making money off this thing it doesn't matter if it's a willing participant or an unwilling participant that need, quote unquote, need in the marketplace is going to be fulfilled. And that's where a lot of the harm is, is when an individual says yes to commercial sex, they're dragging people into the commercial sex trade who are being coerced or, yeah, coerced into it or who, who don't want to be there or they're told one thing and it's completely different. So there's just so much deception and lies involved with pornography and commercial sex. And that's what uh, the research is showing. The, um, the more legality there is around commercial sex, the uh, higher the incidents are for human trafficking because the market can't meet the needs uh, that are demanded by by men. So when I realized I was increasing the demand for commercial sex, that's when 
that really motivates my behavior. The, the things of like, oh, I'm not accomplishing my goals as much as I would like to. That's like mildly uh, motivating to me. But when I realize like we're all connected and that my behavior is harming someone else, that's when it's like, so harming myself, like it's not a good thing. I love myself in a healthy way, but it's like if I'm harming another person, that is something I can't stand. So, Okay. Interesting. Okay. So a few things there that were interesting about what you said. First, you said that because for you, it was a milder addiction, the harm, the, the harms to consumers, which there has been plenty of research done um, on wasn't necessarily as motivating for you because, you know, it was mildly harming you. Whereas for other people who had a more serious pornography addiction, maybe that would be more motivating to them because they have more issues to resolve. Is that, do I understand that correctly? Yes. Yep. Okay, cool. And then the other thing you found interesting was talking about how your you increasing the demand for pornography was increasing the demand for commercial sex. And then by that, increasing the demand for human trafficking, because if there's too large a demand for, you know, willing participants to meet, then other non-willing participants will be dragged in by traffickers. Did I understand that correctly? That's, that's how it works. Pe- people okay. aren't aware of that, but that's what more and more research is showing it's 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 the market you know if if there's an increased demand that the market is going to meet it so what does that look like that looks like coercion and yeah it's coercion force okay interesting right yeah. yeah that's very interesting and i think i think one of the reasons why like like i said in my experience uh i have known many people who are aware of things like that. Like, you know, some people will be trafficked into pornography or whatever, but they won't necessarily see it as their responsibility to then quit porn. Is I think, I think if I understand where they're coming from correctly, I think maybe an analogy could be drawn to like, you know, labor trafficking, right? Like there is a sense in which um, when I go out and buy various different products or whatever, there's probably some people who have were like trafficked in sweatshops producing those products. And I increase the demand for labor trafficking by buying my various different products. Right. And yet it, I don't necessarily automatically think like, oh, therefore I need to stop buying as many goods. Right. Considering the way that that might be how some people think about it. Would you have anything to say in response to that about how maybe you see this, this situation with pornography as different? I, I practice yoga. Mm-hmm. And one of the ethical foundations of Ashtanga yoga is ahimsa. And ahimsa means do not harm or the minimalization of harm. So, mm. yeah, in this world that we live in, it is very challenging to get all harm out uh, of my life or out of the consumer's mm-hmm. life. So it comes to the minimalization of harm. And, you know, people like you and I and this huge movement of people that we are connected with, we're raising awareness about how this is harm, harmful, uh, how the pornography industry is harmful. So once the individual becomes aware of it, it's absolutely the individual's responsibility to determine what they need to do in their life to contribute to um, a just and a fair and a healthy society. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, 
Okay. Thank you so much, Christopher, for coming on today. Thank you for our listeners for tuning in to this conversation. Hope you come back for the next ones. And if you're interested in checking out Christopher's book, I will certainly put the link to buy that in my show notes. And have a great day, everyone.